0: in the black mountains of North Carolina at a summer camp when I gave my life to Jesus and so don't underestimate the influence and the impact of these camps hopefully you guys will get your kids and your students signed up here soon you'll get a discount by doing so and so we'd encourage you to do that well hey my name is Aaron I'm one of the pastors here and incredibly grateful to have you with us today I want to say welcome to all of you in this room I want to say welcome to those that will join us online today and a special shout out to our guests on the Super Bowl Sunday let's just see how many Eagles fans we got in the room anybody wow are you really Eagles fans or you just don't want the Patriots to win yeah 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 Yeah. do we have any Patriots fans in the room anybody yeah okay I'm (laughs) I'm sorry Uh, ahead of time and you'll see what I mean in just a few moments but guys we today we continue in our uh, fight series and if you weren't here with us last week we kicked this series off And we've been talking about fighting the battles that matter the most in our life. And so last week we looked at the subjects of sin and temptation. And just for clarity purposes, uh, temptation is not a sin. Okay, Somebody asked that question last week. Temptation is not a sin, but obviously the follow-through on that temptation to sin is where we get ourselves in trouble. And so last week we looked at these two subjects and we talked about how we need to stay in that battle, that we need to fight that battle. And what we're noticing happening in our culture today is that we see several people, really just kind of the, it's the mindset of the culture, the popular, the path of popular opinion, and what they're doing, what most people are doing is just kind of diminishing, if not altogether dismissing the role of sin in their life. And so we decided that, man, as followers of Christ, we've made a bigger commitment to faithfulness, to stay in the fight and so what we need to do is we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and follow him, and we kept coming back to this one thing, to win the battles that matter the most, you have to stay in the fight. Now, to begin our conversation, here's where I'd like to start. What comes to mind when you think of the word Fight. Like, what comes to mind? Take a moment, honestly. What comes to mind when you think of the word fight? Because I think what comes to your mind would probably say a lot about where you're at currently in your life. It would probably reveal a lot about what's going on in your life. And so what comes to mind when you think of the word fight? Maybe for you it's a a loved one, I should say, who might be in the hospital fighting for their life against some kind of chronic illness or disease. Or maybe an aging parent who's in a fight against time still for others it's the fight parents in the room that we have with our kids every single night to get them in bed anybody else yeah it's like World War 3 to get my kids to go to bed at night but others maybe you're fighting for your kids because your kid may be struggling with a mental illness maybe they're struggling with a bully at school maybe they're struggling with their faith and so you're in a fight for them still others when you hear the word fight you think of your marriage don't you you think of How things aren't going the way that you would have hoped. And maybe you're wondering that, is he or she willing to fight for me any longer? And maybe you're wondering to yourself if you even have any fight left in you. I think when we think of the word fight, it can reveal a lot about where we're at in our current situation, in our current circumstances. It can probably elevate and show us some of the most important things that are happening in our lives right now. And then we have this fight that's going to happen this evening. And so let me tell you a story about three fans. There was a Broncos fan and a Patriots fan and an Eagles fan, and they all went over to this area over in the Middle East where you're not allowed to drink alcohol, a very high Muslim area, and so it's illegal to drink alcohol, but they went over there, had a little bit too much fun one night, and got picked up by the local authorities and sent to prison. Now the prison guard that was there said, "Listen, we're going to let you go and we can tell because they all had their favorite jerseys on. We can tell that you're NFL fans. We're NFL fans, but here's what we have to do. Each of you is going to get 10 lashes no matter what. But because we're NFL fans, we're going to give each of you a wish. But to the Broncos fan, we you know, we we know who the true, you know, awesome team is and so we're going to give you two wishes." And they said, "Okay." And they said, "But here's the deal. You can't wish for less lashes. You're, each of you is going to get 10 lashes. You can't wish that you don't get any lashes." I said, okay. So the Patriots fan steps up and I said, what's your wish? And he said, well, I wish that you would tie a pillow on my back. And so they tied a pillow on his back and they begin to give lashes and about five lashes into it, the pillow splits apart. And those last five lashes, man, just ripped into his skin. Very painful. Next guy comes up, the Eagles fan. And he says, okay, I wish for two pillows to be strapped to my back. And so they strapped two pillows to his back, but the the prison guard wanted to make a point out of him, and so he actually started hitting hitting him a little bit harder. And five lashes in, both pillows split open, and those last five lashes just tore his back open. And then the Broncos fan steps up and says, man, we love the Broncos around here, so we're going to give you two wishes. What are your two wishes? And the guard said, I bet you want three pillows, don't you? Or maybe some ice to go on your back after the lashes? And he said, no, here's what I want. I want you to allow the Eagles fan to give me my lashes, and then I want you to tie the Patriots fan on my back. <laughs> so bad. I'm, I'm sorry. You're all alone today. <clears throat> That's such a bad joke. Um, here's what we're going to do. I don't know how to transition out of that. Uh, to to kind of get us going, I want us to take a step back into church history really quick, about 200 years. And this will make sense to you here in just a moment. If you go back about 200 years in church history, we're in the beginning of the 1800s, and one of the themes that you will find in the early 1800s is how the church in and of itself, there was all this infighting and bureaucracy and politics at play. Denominations were beginning to take form, like, you know, Presbyterians and Methodists and Baptists and so on and so forth. And there was all this infighting, you know, who's got the right denomination, who's got the right doctrine, who's got the right theology, And then we carry that into the early 20th century, and then another transition happens because as, excuse me, as our society forms, some things start to take place within our culture, and certain things that we would have stood against begin to become popular opinion in our society. Here's what I mean. In about, you know, the 50s and 60s, we see abortion become legal. Now, we're not here to have a big conversation about abortion. I'm just trying to pave a point for you, and so... What happened in that particular time is that the church began to speak out against that. Now, I'm not here to say that we shouldn't be speaking up against things that we think are unethical. I think we do. We have a responsibility to do that. But the church was doing it in such a way that it took a tone and a position of hatred and and very strong condemnation and judgment. And so that attitude kind of carried over into where we are today. And because of that season, because the church spoke up about many other issues as well, we began, and when I say we, the church began to be known for what it was against, not what it was for. And today we still as a church, Big C church, not just Trace Church, we reap, we're reaping the consequences and the repercussions of those actions when the church handled many different issues with a lack of love. Friends, one of the roles of the church is to remind you of the things that are worth fighting for. And so what I would like to do today. Is to talk about what a healthy church should be fighting for because I think I speak for all of us when I say when people hear about the church that we're a part of trace church do we want them to just think of things that we're against do they automatically think of oh yeah that church is against this or against that I don't. I want them to think about what we're for and more specifically who we are for When people hear the name Trace Church in the future, and I don't know what the future is. Again, if you're new here, we're only a 17-month-old church. I don't know what the future holds. I don't know if this is two years down the road, if it's five years down the road. But what I do know is when people hear the name Trace Church, as the leader of this church, this is one thing that I hope comes to mind, and I hope you're in agreement with me. Trace Church, man, that's that place that will fight for you. No matter what's happened in your life, no matter how many failures, no matter how many screw-ups, that church... We'll fight for you I don't know if you know this but one of our key traces here is this statement right here we will pursue Jesus and life with grit and this statement was really important to me because what I've learned in about 12 years of ministry is that life is hard Following Jesus is hard. Don't let anybody ever convince you otherwise. That Yeah, give your life to Jesus. Everything will be great. Just the opposite. If you give your life to Jesus and you follow him in a path of faithfulness that he wants to follow you, or wants you to follow him in, it's one of the hardest things you'll ever do. It's one of the hardest things you'll ever do. And so we want to pursue Jesus and life with grit because we know there's going to be obstacles and adversity to overcome. But what I hope that we can accomplish together as a church is that none of us feel like we're set out to do that alone. And so we, not I, but we will pursue Jesus in life with grit. Let me remind you of our one thing today as we begin our conversation, to win the battles that matter most, we all have to stay in the fight. Here's what I want to do. We're going to look at a particular book of the Bible this morning, a story And in this story, it's going to have some principles that will help us to unfold the topic that we're going to be looking at, which is what do we want to be known for as a church? What what battles are we willing to fight? And so to do this, we're going to look at the story of Nehemiah. Now, for those of you that are new to the church or maybe you just need a a refresher course on who Nehemiah is, let me give you a 10,000-foot flyover very quickly of this story. In about 586 B.C., Jerusalem was overtaken by this king, the king of Babylon, called King Nebuchadnezzar. And he came in and destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. It was the original temple built by Solomon. And he tore down the city walls, which were a very instrumental part of their protection in Jerusalem. And so that happened, and this is what we call the Babylonian exile. And so they took all the Jewish people, all the Israelites, to Babylon, and they were held against their will. Now fast forward about 50 years later, and there was a new king in place. And he allowed the Israelites to go back to Jerusalem to begin to rebuild. And many of them did. And so they went back, and the first thing that they wanted to tackle is to rebuild the temple. Because, again, the temple was an essential part of their faith. It's where they believed God resided and where they would go and meet God in what was called the Holy of Holies. And so uh, they started to rebuild the temple, and that took them about another 30 years, which brings us to about 516 BC. Now, fast forward another 80 years, and we get to meet this guy named Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah was a cupbearer for a king called King An- Artaxerxes. It's hard to get that out sometimes. Uh, king Artaxerxes. And he was a Persian king. And uh, man, if you were to look at Nehemiah's life, he was set, like, he was good. The cupbearer to the king, he was taken care of. There was nothing that he really needed to do to add any more cush to his life. It was there. But Nehemiah noticed something. Yes, they had rebuilt the temple, because Nehemiah was a Jewish man. He noticed that they had built the temple, but they hadn't done anything about the wall. For a hundred years, nobody had rebuilt the wall, so all it was going to take was for another king, another ruler, another power or force to come in, and, and the temple would be destroyed all over again. And so Nehemiah goes to King Artaxerxes, and he says, "Hey, would you give me the opportunity? Would you free me from my position so that I can go back to my people and help them rebuild this wall?" And King Artaxerxes says, "Yes." So Nehemiah comes back, and what he had that I guess was was different from what anybody else had, and why they hadn't been able to build rebuild the wall yet was this: he had a vision. He had a vision of what could be. He didn't just see the obstacles. He saw the opportunities. And so he gathered together the people of Israel and he said, listen, this is important. This is a fight worth fighting. We've got to rebuild this wall because if we don't, our kids and our grandkids are going to suffer the consequences for it. And so he puts together a team and they link arms because they see that this is a fight worth fighting. And let's be clear on this. It was going to be a fight because there were people who did not want this wall to be rebuilt. And so we're going to land in Nehemiah chapter 4 today, beginning in verse 10. And where we land, we're going to specifically uh, find Nehemiah and his crew about halfway done with the city wall. And so at this point, fatigue is starting to set in. Let's pick up in verse 10. Here's what he says. Then the people of Judah, this would also have been called the Israelites, the Jewish people, the Hebrews. They had many names, kind of like the Patriots have many names, like, you know, losers and ball deflators and stuff like that. I just, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> Jesus loves you, I promise. Um, so, then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired, and there is so much rubble to be moved. And you almost have to hear this with a whiny voice. And we will never be able to build a wall by ourselves. You know why I think so many of us fail to see the opportunities on the other end of the obstacles that are in front of us. Because we often look into the future through a lens. And it's a specific lens. It's a lens that carries with it a question, can I do this on my own? Side note, many of you at times will look into the future through a lens when you're in the middle of fatigue and frustration and maybe your fair share of failures. And I would encourage you not to do that. I've been there. Because you'll almost always look through a lens that shows everything to be harder than what it really is going to be when you find yourself in the midst of a storm and you try to look into the future because you just can't see that far ahead of you. So make sure to give yourself some time to get on the other end of that obstacle, the other end of that storm before you look too far into the future. But why is it? Why is it that we only look through this lens of can I handle this can I do this can I win this fight can I overcome this obstacle on my own why aren't we inviting other people into those obstacles with us here's here's what I think I think many of us understand that if we were to actually invite people into those obstacles with us into those fights into those battles with us we'd actually have to reveal our current circumstances our reality, what's really going on behind the scenes in our life, and I don't think many of us really want to do that. And so how can we invite somebody into the battles that we're facing if we're not willing to actually start with a foundation of truth? Let me take a time out here for a second. There's not too many things that I can promise you as the leader of this church. There's not too many commitments that I could say to you and know for sure that I'm going to do it, but I can make one. I'm going to work my tail off and I should say we, meaning the the leaders of this church, are going to work our butts off to create a culture here at Trace where you can feel comfortable coming and actually exposing your current reality, whatever that is. And by no means do I think that we're going to have all the answers for you, but we will, this is what I promise you, we will link arms with you, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, we will do our best to lead you towards a better story. That I can promise you. But I know for so many of you, That's that's a big step. It sounds like an easy step, but that's not an easy step because for us to start in a healthy place, we have to start with whatever your current reality is, meaning the truth, because if we started with anything less than that, we're only going to go in reverse. But I just want you to hear that from me this morning. I'm going to do everything I can to help us to create a culture here where we can start with your current reality no matter how messy and stinky and messed up and how many failures are wrapped around that that there is and again we don't have all their answers but we'll do our best to send you to people who can give you the help that you need About three years ago I'm sitting down in my backyard in Arizona and we had invited Corey and Amaris to come over many of you know who Corey and Amaris are they've been with us from the get-go and we sat down with Corey and Amaris and we talked to them about the possibility of coming and being a part of this church plant and at that point we didn't even know it was gonna be Colorado Springs now one of the things that many of you know, if you've been coming here a while, is that Amaris has struggled with mental illness. And I say that openly because they talk about it openly. And it's one of the things I love about them. They're using their pain for a bigger purpose. And I sit down and I looked at Amaris. I remember this clearly at the table in my backyard. We're sitting around it. And I said, Amaris, I don't think God's done with your story. We had walked with them for a long time up to that point, And we knew how much she had struggled with different, different seasons of mental illness. And I looked at her and I said, I think you're getting ready to go into a season where God is going to redeem your pain. God's going to redeem it. And he's going to help others to see that they have strength through your willingness to be vulnerable and to expose your current reality. Some of you maybe were here for this about a year ago. We weren't in this location, a different location. Amherst got up and she actually gave the morning message on a Sunday. And we were in this series called Pain Sucks. Because it does. And Amherst shared how painful Different moments of her of her life and what they'd been like, as she struggled with mental illness, and because of her willingness to expose her current reality, so many other people felt strengthened by her story. And we still joke about this. Uh, her when we put that on YouTube, because all of our sermons go on YouTube. Her sermon, or whatever you want to call it, her little speech, uh, got more views than all of my sermons combined. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't give a lot of job security for a pastor. <laughs> But I'm so grateful for them. And if you know Corey and Embers, you know, man, they're, they're at the drop of a dime, man. They will, they will be available for you to talk to you, specifically if that's been your struggle. And that's the kind of church that we want to create here. And so let me say this really clearly before we move on with our passage. You can't fight from where you pretend to be. Think about it. You can't fight from where you pretend to be, so we have to start with truth. Anything less will only cause us to go backwards. Let's pick up in our passage. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. Now, he has three specific enemies. When I say he, Nehemiah, but all the Israelites, this guy named Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. The Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again, they will come from all directions and attack us. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by my by families armed with swords, spears, and bows. Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious, and fight for your brothers, fight for your sons, fight for your daughters, fight for your wives, and fight for your homes because they'll never take away our freedom. No, they didn't say that. A little uh, Braveheart moment. Um, but obviously... Nehemiah is starting to paint a different picture for them. This is not about building a wall. This is about so much more. And this is a fight worth fighting because what we're accomplishing together today is going to pay dividends into the future for your kids, for your grandkids and their kids because this wall is going to represent safety and security for their future. So let's pause here and camp out in this particular moment and on this particular subject when it comes to fighting for our families guys I don't know if there's a more worthy fight I really don't and here's the way that I want to set this up so you can see kinda the spiritual battle that's happening behind the scenes there's two major covenants that you make in your life two major ones the first covenant is with Jesus And this is a covenant. When you put your faith in Christ, He gives you His Holy Spirit. And Ephesians says He seals you with the promised Holy Spirit. This becomes a covenant between you and God, meaning your salvation cannot be taken away from you. Your salvation is secure in Christ because of what He did for you on the cross. That is a covenant. It's the most important covenant in your life. The second most important covenant that you make in your life is in your marriage. When you stand in front of somebody like me or someone else and you commit to one another... And then Matthew 19, Jesus says, when the husband leaves his father and mother and he's united with his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, it's literally the sexual act. That is a covenant that you make with your spouse. Let me be clear about this, and I want to say it exactly the way that I wrote it down. Satan can't take away your faith. Your faith is secure. He cannot take that away from you. And that's the most important covenant in your life, so you better believe he's he's coming after covenant number two. And I think we see the devastation that he's causing All around us I'm a product of it in our families he's coming after our families and this is why one of our primary battles our primary focuses when it comes to fighting for each other is fighting for one another's families beginning fighting for your own family and this is why we've made this commitment here we're gonna help families win We really do believe that one of the best things that we can do for you as a church is partner with you in whatever way that looks for you, whatever your current situation looks like, and we want to help your family win. I've said this before, and you're going to hear me say it again, and I want to say it right now. Here's what I believe. I believe that the breakdown of America is riding on the backs of the breakdown of the American family. And I believe the breakdown of the American family, stay with me, is riding on the backs of the lack of intentionality among men. So guys listen up to me for a second yes i'm going to speak to you boldly and i'm going to speak to you candidly step up step up and get back in the fight i don't know how many battles you've lost up till now and maybe by me saying that you got your list of excuses or maybe it's because you've already failed so many times there's no reason to get back in the fight maybe it's your list of excuses of why you're not fighting for your family i don't care what it is whether it's failures or whether it's just a lack of intentionality, get back in the fight. This fight, the fight for your family, is a battle that matters the most. And so step up. If I could define what it means to be a man in as simple and as concise of a way possible, here's what I would say. A man takes responsibility. So fellas, are you taking responsibility? Are you taking responsibility for what it means to be a father and a husband? Are you fighting for your family? I don't care how many times you screwed up, up till now. And if you need help, if you need help, This is the kind of church that will not condemn you and send you away more discouraged than when you came. We will lock arms with you and we will help you to win that battle. You understand? I hope you hear me on that. Fellas, it's time for you to step up. Let me say say this. When I first got into ministry, I got one of the best pieces of advice and encouragement that I've ever received from another pastor. And here's what he said. He said, Aaron, your most significant contribution to this life will not be a ministry that you lead. It will be a child that you raise. And it will be a family that you learn to fight for. You see, guys, there are plenty of other people who can do my job. There really are. But I'm the only father to Lily and Jonathan and Avery and Maddie. And I'm the only husband to Emily, as far as I know. So husbands and wives, hear me out. Listen to me. Stay in the fight against those thoughts of tossing in the towel on your marriage because you're no longer happy. Stay in the fight even though you don't see your spouse fighting for you anymore. Stay in the fight against a culture that is telling you that you should do whatever you need to do to be happy. Stay in the fight against the fatigue that is setting in as you deal with a wayward child. Stay in the fight to say prayers with your children at night, even though you'd probably rather watch TV sometimes or check Facebook stay in the fight for your family because it's one of the most essential parts of our faith lived out and i can assure you if you fight for your family the way that god wants you to you will be called to give up a lot of good things so that you can stay focused and fight for the most important things let me pick back up in our verse when our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to work on the wall. But, then, but from then on, only half my men worked while the other half stood guard with spears, sh- shields, bows, and coats of mail. I had no idea what coats of mail was, but it's kind of the braided-looking steel that comes with armor. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. And the laborers carried on their work. Don't miss this. I love this imagery. The laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. All the builders had a sword belted to their side. In other words, they had a shovel in one hand and a sword in the other. And here's the most amazing thing about this story. They were were able to rebuild the wall in 52 days. What they couldn't accomplish in over 100 years was accomplished in 52 days Because one guy stood up to the plate and said, I can see what can be. He had a vision of what could be. Not just the obstacles in front of him, but the opportunities on the other side of that obstacle. But he also knew that this was a fight that he couldn't fight alone. And so he had to get other people to come alongside of them. And they literally had to fight with a shovel in one hand to get the work done and a sword in the other. Church, here's what I want to plead with you today. I think we're pretty good over here. I think many of us know what it looks like to work hard. We got a shovel in one hand. We know the things, we got responsibilities that need to be covered. But what I'm not sure that we're that good on, and when I say we, it's really just our culture. I'm not sure we're so good at knowing when to drop the shovel and pick up the sword. To fight for your family. To fight for your neighbor, your coworker, your family member your kids, people in this church. And so what does it look like for us to have a shovel in one hand and a sword in the other as a church? In other words, what is our Jerusalem wall? Interesting enough, between today and Easter, there's 56 days. They built a freaking wall in 52 Here's what I'd like for us to try to accomplish together as a church. Again, when people think of Trace Church, I hope they think about a church who's willing to fight for others. So here's what I want us to do. In the next 52 days, I want us to think about somebody that we can fight for. And yes, the most obvious would be your family. So I, I, and that's your primary battle. Stay in that fight or get back in that fight if you started to bow out. But who else can you fight for? There's anywhere between 400 and 500 people that come to this church on any given Sunday. Think about what we could do if four to 500 people picked one person and said, "You know what, I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to fight for you." And so let me just ask you this question right now. Who are you fighting for? Like how would you answer that question? Are you only fighting for yourself? Maybe there's some selfish ambitions, things you want to get done in life, and I'm not saying those are altogether bad, but when we just get consumed with our own lives, we fail to see how God can use us in the lives of others. One of my favorite verses is Philippians 2, 3 through 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility, consider others more important than yourself. Each of you not looking out to your own interest, but look to the interest of others. In other words, learn to fight for each other. Let me ask you another follow-up question to this. For the people that are already around you, the people maybe in your family that you know you need to be fighting for, do they know it? Do they know that you're willing to fight for them? One of the things that often happens when I'm writing a sermon is I'm very deeply convicted about the things that I'm going to tell you because I'm not always doing them. I think my family knows that I'm willing to fight for them, but I've never told them. And so I've got four kids, and because of this sermon, in the next couple weeks I'm going to sit every single one of them down. And however God leads me with each individual child, because they're all different, I'm going to tell them that I'm willing to fight for them. Now, one of my kids, Maddie, she's only 20 months old, so we'll just eat some fruit snacks or something together and (laughs) try to get it. But But I'm going to look at them and say, it doesn't matter how many times you disappoint Daddy. It doesn't matter if you have moments where you feel like you're questioning what you believe. It doesn't matter what happens in your life. Daddy's going to fight for you. And then I'm gonna sit my wife down, and I've told her, maybe not so many words, but I'm gonna specifically let her know I will always fight for you. Who are you fighting for, guys? Fifty-six days between now and Easter when we celebrate how much Jesus was willing to fight for us to go to a cross to suffer and to die an excruciating death only so that we could live and have have eternal life with our father he went to the greatest extents to fight for us and here's what I know about Jesus one of the things I love about him even if you won't fight for your family even if you won't fight for your kids, he will. So why don't you join him to fight for your family, to fight for the things that matter the most. I'm going to invite um, Kip to come up here and lead us in a song. And this was uh, one of those moments I had this week. I was listening to a song called So Will I. And uh, the message of this song is really about worship. Worship. And so I remember I was sitting in one of these chairs right here. I get here early, often on weekdays, and I'll just say a prayer over the church and over many of you guys and just pray for different things. And I will listen to worship music a lot of times when I'm doing that. And so I'm listening to this song, So Will I, which he's going to lead for us in just a moment. And God just impressed on my heart, Aaron, I'm going to fight for your family. Aaron, I'm going to fight for your kids. Aaron, I'm going to fight for this church. I'm going to fight for your neighbors. I'm going to fight for that random person that you saw on the side of the road. I'm going to fight for them. And so as God is impressing this on me, I begin to say the words that were echoed in this song. God, if you'll fight for them, so will I. If you'll fight for my kids so will I. If you fight for my wife, so will I. If you'll fight for my marriage, so will I. If you will fight for this church, so will I. If you will fight for the struggles and the battles that many of you are facing in this room, then so will I. So I'm going to ask Kip to lead us right now. I'm going to pray for us first. And as he's leading us, man, just begin to think about who can you start fighting for? If we're going to be known for something as a church, I want to be known for the church that will fight for people. Let's pray. Father, goodness, thank you for loving us so much that you sent Jesus to fight for us. That by giving his life on that cross, Lord, Lord, he won the ultimate battle of sin by defeating sin and defeating death so that we could have life. None of our battles will be that bad. Or be that hard. And so God, I pray that you surface someone in our mind that could use some help right now. Someone in our mind that could maybe maybe use some help in whatever battles or obstacles that they're trying to overcome. And God, God, we get it. Some of these people may not even want to invite us into that fight with them. But at least we can make ourselves available if they are willing. And so God, I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit in a way that only you can, would you surface the right person? Maybe we're thinking of a person right now, but you have somebody different in mind. God, would you bring that to our attention? And Father, would you, you show us what it looks like to live more selflessly
1: and so that we can make
0: ourselves available to fight for one another? God, thank you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.
1: For the beginning of With no point of reference You spoke to the dark And fleshed out the wonder of light And as you speak Speak in vain, a no syllable, empty, open oh boy For once you have spoken on nature insights, follow the sound of your voice And as you speak on the Bill you catch your breath. so My heart through all of my failure and pride and on a hill you created light of the world bending in darkness to die and as you speak hundred billion You lost your life so I could find it time, but what measure could mount to your desire, you're the one who never leaves the one behind.
0: song on a moment's notice for me I asked him if he would sing that just after God was kind of dealing with me this week if you give your life to love them so will I Man, that verse sticks inside of me so who's your one I love that Andy Stanley says you can't help everyone but you can do for one what you wish you could do for everyone so who's going to be your one it's possible that you're here right now and you're thinking to yourself, Aaron, I love the idea of fighting for somebody else, but I just really need somebody to fight for me right now. We get that and we're ready. If you want to make yourself known, feel free to. You can come find me or you can go write a prayer card and just let us know who you are and that you'd like us to reach out to you. And I promise you that will happen in this next week. I'm going to do this I'm going to say a prayer for us. We'll we'll close, but remember when you walk out those doors, friends, you're not walking away from God's church. You're walking out as God's church to make a difference in this world. So let's do that in the next 52 days by fighting for someone. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Father, thank you for worship songs that take us in a completely different direction and remind us. The awe of who you are that all creation shouts out and praise, father i pray that you continue to point to the person that we need to step in their battle with them and to fight for them and i also pray for those in here that need someone to fight for them right now lord would you help them to begin with a platform of honesty give them the courage to come forward if they need to So, Father, as we leave here, remind us that we leave as your church to make a difference for your kingdom in this world. Thank you for who you are and all that you've done. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Go be a trace, guys.